Hi, this is Jonathan, and I play the human wizard, Jonathan the Magimuscular. Hi, I'm Jack. I play Trevancore, a half-elf Beastmaster Ranger. Hi, this is John. I play your half-orc barbarian, Carlton Tanks. Hi, this is Julia. I play the rock gnome cleric, Bernice Q. Burns. And I am Lauren, your humble DM, and welcome to Dungeon Drunks. Distinguished adventurers last time on Dungeon Drunks. After spending some time in the town of Red Tower, our heroes have discovered some details about Ichabon T-Strainer, the missing halfling naturalist they've been hired to find. He was convinced by a mysterious stranger to enter into the dangerous and notorious Scarlet Citadel. Insert creepy music. The team has followed him and were just entering the ruins when they were attacked by disturbingly altered creatures resembling an owl bear and a flock of harpies. With the monsters dispatched, our heroes now stand in the central courtyard after a victorious battle. And that's where we begin tonight. Welcome to Dungeon Drunks. My name is Lauren. I'm the DM. You might know me as Oboe. Tonight, I have juice. It's just juice. It's really good juice. It's um this cranberry, blackberry, low sugar mixed juice. It's it's in my Phoenix mug. Hey, which I only have the Phoenix on one side, which means when I am on stream, I have to constantly remember to hold it to the other side. And the reason I only have juice is because it's been a weird day for a bunch of different reasons that I won't go into. But what I will say is I've not worked pretty much all day, but I will be working this evening because it's a weird day. So after this, I will be doing some other things, and thus I need to not have had any alcohol. But it's nice to have some juice. It's also nice to see these awesome friends of mine who I haven't seen in a while because, uh, spoiler alert, our recordings sometimes get spaced apart. And so who should we start with? Oh, eeny, meeny, miny. Oh, Jonathan has, has volunteered graciously to go first. So Jonathan, what are you drinking? Hey, this is Jonathan, and I play Jonathan the Magimuscular, and the reason why I wanted to go first, I did have an ulterior motive, because you are having juice, I am also having juice, except Ooh. that juice is wine. <laughs> I mean, that is a type of juice. Uh, this is Black Box Premium Wine Cabernet Sauvignon. I can't read, because I've already had a little bit of Fireball, we'll get to that here in a bit, and by a little bit I mean about three or four shots. Mm. Because reasons. And I am going to sample this in my lovely... I was thinking of drinking out of this like a uh, like a Luddite. Like, like a... a uh, like the unsophisticated uh, swine that I am. But I am instead uh, drinking it out of this Bucky's uh, stemless glass here. So Aww. let's... Bucky's... Of course they make wine glasses. Can you explain to people that who is cheap aren't... Wine. Aren't from your area what Bucky's is? So Bucky's is a rather large gas station slash convenience store. But imagine a Wawa, or imagine a what is it? What's the other one? Sheets. Sheets. Yeah. Okay. Sheets. Imagine one of those where it is a gas station. It has gas pumps. It also has a convenience store. It also has an area where you can order food, and they make it for you fresh. Now take that. And literally multiply it by 10. Because that's what Bucky's is. It is enormous. They have more gas pumps than I've ever seen. They have their their actual store is nearly as big as a Walmart, but it is still, it's got you can order like tacos or sandwiches or or burritos. And that's not even including the barbecue uh that they serve. 
in the middle that doesn't include the fudge that doesn't include all the jerky that they make and some of them that they don't and then they also have <laughs> all kinds of camping goods like it's almost it's almost a mini mini cabela's with made to order food and gas but yes they do sell glassware and i went back and forth there and i actually on my way down i bought a glass for a friend who was putting me up for a night and then on the way back i'm like i want that glass too so i bought one for myself but they make all kinds of other glassware like i've actually had the little bucky shot glass on this show before so um in a very small uh measure of self-control i have resolved to only buy one piece of Bucky's glassware per visit. So, when things return more or less to normal, and I am making trips down to Dallas or San Antonio or Austin a little bit more often, I imagine my little Bucky's glassware collection is going to grow. But for now, it is just the wine glass and the shot glass, but uh, that that is what I've got now. Speaking of which, this would have been perfect if I had actually remembered to put it in my Bucky shot glass, but I have also had several shots of these, so that's why I forgot. But uh, tonight's shot of fireball to be consumed at the first casting of fireball, or the equivalent spell thereof, is dedicated to Nate Zakari. Thank you, Nate, for your hey. continued patronage. We appreciate it. We love you. This fireball shot, which will probably actually be a fireball here in just a bit, is for you. Thanks, Nate. Hi. Thank you, Nate. Thank you. Also, I, I have to say, first off, I, I do hope that you're, that things return to normal fast enough for your glassware collection to grow. Also, I don't know why, but when you're like, the jerky that they make there and some that they don't, for whatever reason, that tickled me. That, that was a <laughs> statement that for some reason made me, uh, I, I, got, I got both, I found that funny and creepy. And yeah. I know that's not how you meant it, but that was amazing. <laughs> right after I made my most recent trip down and sort of, because I'd been to Bucky's before, but I feel like this last trip really cemented my my membership in the Bucky's cult. But there's a travel channel that's like uh, on YouTube that's like Nate and Kate, right? Karen and Nate. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. Who is it? Karen and Nate. Karen and Nate. Okay. So they actually, uh, they had been traveling around Europe for a bit, and then they, when COVID happened, they decided to come back, and now they're road tripping a bunch. And they actually went to a Bucky's, uh, I forget where it was, I want to say- the it largest was, one in Texas, I think, right? They're all pretty big, but I think they went to the one, like, in near Waco, I think, I want to say. But they actually were talking about like the different snacks that that Bucky's has. Like they have beaver nuts, which is one of the most favorite uh, or the most famous. Their homemade chips that they make there, like their fresh potato chips, are incredible because you get them and they're warm. But some parts are kind of soft, but some parts are kind of crunchy because they they this it was in a fryer like an hour ago. Amazing. They mentioned that there is a online business. There's a guy who runs around to Bucky's, buys these snacks, and then resells them online for a markup, and he's doing quite well. Oh, sure. Captain Bucky's over here. Is Wait, the, really? Is that really what it's... Is, are you? I don't think it is, because I don't think he's seen that, but I don't know. I can't tell with Jack sometimes. <laughs> I can't either, but I, I choose to believe him. But yes, there's a... Bucky's is so big that they support <laughs> several other businesses, and I think one of the things he buys is... Like the jerky that they make, but I'm pretty yeah. sure I saw a bunch of varieties of jerkies in there because yeah, it, it it's fucking huge. 
That's amazing. <laughs> I just love the idea of of picking up glassware on a regular basis and like, and eventually I'll have the whole set. <laughs> and with that weird transition, Bernie, what are you drinking? I'm also drinking juice. Damn. Juice We're and a beer. Juice hey. <laughs> We're getting the full gambit of juice. I love it. I have full disclosure, like we uh, finally saw my family uh, for the first time in 18 months and we had bought fun summer beers and then we went away and didn't drink them. So I have a few left over. So I have the juice box craft beer with lemonade. It's a raspberry lemonade flavor. Ooh. So I'm really excited. It's sort of like the last little little bit of summer. I'm just going to quickly sip out of the can. Oh, it smells so good. That sounds really good. Yeah. Yes. This has been a very like shandy and rodler summer. So this is like the perfect. This is also a local place. So it's from, well, local, local, local by Canadian and American standards in terms of it's from the province and provinces in Canada are gigantic. So this is made by Juice Box Beverage Company in Toronto and London, Ontario. Not London, UK, London, Ontario. It's quite good. It's got adorable, adorable art, which I absolutely love. It's this little person. It's a little person with like a little orange helmet riding a little juice box. It's like a like a 1950s racer. It's so cute. And it's it's very good. I can recommend. And now I want to go and figure out what other things they have. I will say our local LCBO near our house does a really good job of having like seasonal local beers like almost their entire beer section they have the standard cheap like oh here's your bud light and here's your other stuff i don't know if they sell corona but but most of their beer and cider is like canadian made like there's some american companies but it's vast majority not just from canada but specifically like ontario quebec and then if it's american it's mostly just come right over the border from like new york which i really love not to be a bummer but i think this is really important to say Today in Canada, if you're listening to this, you will get an idea of what our recording schedule is like. Uh, Today is our National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. Uh, So this is a new holiday. The government gave, (laughs) it's a federal holiday, which means federal employees have the day off, which I think everyone is also trying to reckon with because um, we only need this because of the Canadian government. But this is a partial result of the Truth and Reconciliation uh, Committee and the large, 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 uh, I think there are 99 points that they published, studied that the committee basically said that the nature of the relationship of the Canadian government the Indigenous Peoples of Canada, the First Nations, Inuit, and Métis, is that of a genocide. And I think it's important that this they didn't say, like, cultural genocide. They just straight up said this was, this was genocide. And this is Canada trying to reckon with it. And there are have been some really, really horrific discoveries at the... Um, at the, the schools. Indigenous schools, at yeah. the residential schools, which Indigenous children were forced to attend. Uh, so in the future, I unfortunately believe that there were, we are only going to have more discoveries like that, but I think something to remember if you play D&D and you play D&D because you like having a situation where you get to go in and you are powerful and you can help someone. I think that's, I love playing with all of you guys. You're funny. You are just good people to be around, even when it has to be in the digital space instead of in person. But 
at the end of the day, I think a lot of us play D&D because it's so fucking nice to be the stranger that comes to town and solves the problem. Uh, there are a lot of things. You don't even have to be the stranger that comes to town. You can do so much. And so I would invite everybody to think about, if you are not in Canada, the United States does not have a National Day of Truth and Reconciliation, but we ought to. Uh, we are as culpable. And if you are not in Canada or the U.S., there is a high likelihood that there is a situation similar to this that happened in your country that has probably been erased from your country's history. So if you're listening to this and you're like, damn, I wasn't here for a bummer, finish the episode. I hope it won't be a bummer. Um, but then take some time and look for what wasn't told to you when you were in elementary school, middle and high school and college and find a resource and find a way to help. It can be as simple as lots of lots of great organizations hey hey we want you to email your representative senator member of parliament about this issue and we've pre-written the email for you you know what everything you do helps so that would be my request if you would like to be a little more like your more heroic D&D character in real life this is something you can do absolutely uh, so yeah, today has been a strange day, but I this is this is far from the first time that we have talked about serious topics before going into a silly D and D game, and uh, we always appreciate it because you know what, it's good stuff and it's important. I spent my day off listening to episodes of The Secret Life of Canada. If you yeah. don't know where to start, and you are like Jesus, I actually don't know any of this. Today is a good day to to look because there will be resources that are going to be very, very public. So it will not take a deep Google search. So I will ask the two rem remaining members of this podcast, who I love dearly, who would like to go next, knowing that I'm asking you to do that after we've had a serious discussion, but that we all understand that this is serious. And now we can transition back into being a little more si silly. Who would like to go next? I'll go next. Jack, I love you so much. Travancore, what are you drinking? Good people of Faerun. Travancore's choice this evening is Trogs. I'm not trying to say that. Trogs, Trogs, like Zoe, Trogs maybe, because it, it has umlaut on it. I Little trust you. Trogs. Independent Brewing Company's Grand Cacao Chocolate Stout. It is apparently Ooh. brewed with cacao and milk sugar. I picked this up at the Giant. It might be called Stop and Chop if you live in New England or, uh, or uh, New York. But uh, here we call it giant beer in supermarkets and wine in supermarkets is still a fairly new thing for me, having grown up in Pennsylvania, where we have these up until recently stringent blue laws. But without further ado, live tasting. Here we go. Down the hatch. You've been enjoying some pretty thick chocolatey beers recently, so I'm Ooh. excited. That's good. That's real good. Yeah. Good, good soup. A little bit of joy <laughs> in a bottle. Uh, the joy on your face when you took that sip. That was, that was palpable joy. And, and finally, the other person who I, I appreciate for going, going last, in this case, Carlton. What are you drinking? I have a Ramune. Uh, it's like one of those Japanese sodas with a little ball that you have to pop down in. Uh, it's Agura Getsu. Agura Getsutsuku. The, it's the angry, like, cat <gasps> from uh, Oh, yeah. Ag Sanyo. Agutsuku. I think she's a yeah. fox, right? But yeah, front end of the show, Cody got me this uh, on one of his trips. Uh, and it's bloody grapefruit flavor. So I'm going to go ahead and pop that ball in it's there. It's also juice. Okay. It is also it's, juice. It's technically oh, softer. I'm the outlier. It's okay. I don't mind. No, here's, here's the thing. Yours is out, right? Thing. Yeah. This there is an after school. Woo. After school. Yeah. So it's all like. Uh, after school snack. I'm juice feeling and chocolate. that. Travancore Jr. enjoys after school snacks. 
I mean, I enjoy just snacks. So. Yeah. Okay. It, for for, and I will just admit it. I have no idea. So for for me and other listeners at home, why is there a ball in the drink? I, it's it, it's the stopper, which I don't okay. know why you can't just use a, a a cap, but it's like a thing that's like popular. Okay. Oh. It used to be a style of bottle that you would see in the U.S. And I, my mom, her, one of her best friends growing up was telling me that when they had those, and you don't see them as much anymore, they they straddle the century and I'd have to, I, I think in part they've even done them in beer. I don't know why they did them, but I know that she said when they were little and you could still get them, they would drink their drink and they would break the bottle and then they'd use the ball as a marble. Oh, I, this, yeah, I've seen stuff like that. It's been a minute. I haven't seen like stuff like that in a while, but, uh. I've only ever heard of it in Guinness cans to keep Guinness from turning into bread. Okay, so how, how is it? <laughs> it's awkward to drink out of because of the way the lid is shaped. It's like this, like, it's dead center, and then it's like big and thick and round. That's what she said. Yeah, I, was, said. I was waiting for it. No, now the ball gets, there we go. The ball got stuck up top again. So had to push it back down. It's, it's an experience. Maybe, maybe <laughs> it's, it's to teach you about mindfulness. Because you have to work for every sip. You don't get to just guzzle it down. You get to drink it slowly. I will pour this into a fucking cup eventually and just say, <laughs> That was it. what I was going to say. At that point, just go go grab yourself a cup. So yeah, And then I'm break the glass and, and play with the I marble. I cleaned it the other day, so there's no cups lying around like there normally is. Because I'm that person that has dishes. You know, but I, I am also a dish person. And you need... It is not an office if there aren't at least four cups hiding somewhere, one of them being the cup you're currently using. I'm pretty good about only having one to two cups on my desk and that I'm, that I'm actively using at the time because uh, that, that is one of those things that, that, that gets me. But I al- almost always have cups on here because I do a lot of talking. I, I talk for a living, which I know sometimes when I'm unable to say words is very surprising. So, so let's do some talking and some wording and paint a picture for you. As I s- talked about in my little opening monologue, y'all are in the Scarlet Citadel. It is just before noon on a fairly nice day, and you've done the walk to this ruined citadel, but it looks like it's been ruined for a very long time. It is made out of those iconic red bricks, but unlike the tower in Red Tower, which was the only one that was made out of those, the, this entire ruin, the buildings were obviously all made out of these red bricks. And now that you've had this bloody battle with this strange owl bear and these weird harpies, and you're standing in the, the moments after that battle, it's less pretty, a little more ominous. What would you like to do? I think we had Bernie wanting to heal everyone. Yes, please. But how, what is everyone looking at, like, health-wise? On a scale of 205, I am approximately at 171. Okay. <laughs> I'm at 74 out of 135. I don't remember what Shadow is. Jonathan the Magic Muscular is good. Oh, Shadow's okay. I don't think Shadow's gonna need damage. Travancore took the brunt of that this time. Yeah, you did. We're going to do a mass cure wins at fifth level. That's a good one. We're going to say I shot, because I cast Crown of Stars. Yeah. I want to say I did three, maybe two. I'll say three. 
and everybody gets 24 points of health. And then I get, I'm back up, I think, with the extras. 24 points, ladies with and gentlemen. With the stuff you got. As Bernie takes a moment to heal all of you in the aftermath of this battle, and you're looking around, uh, is there anything else anyone wants to start doing in this moment? So we've downed this weird-looking owlbear. Jonathan the Metromuscular wants to kind of look at it and give it, like, the arcane eye, I guess. Like, see, like, if he can figure out what may have altered this uh, this owlbear from its normal owlbearness. You would like to look at the altered beast? Sure. Go ahead and give me an arcana check. You know, check. You, you mentioned altered beast. If Jonathan the Magimuscular were a necromancer, he would say, rise from your grave. Mm. And then it would... And then it would. And then it would be kind of a, a middling arcade game from the 80s. <laughs> and then, like halfway through the battle, it would power up and it would turn into... The, its next form, which I don't know what that, that would be for Owlbear. I think the I, I figured the Owlbear would be the file. Anyway, I'm sorry. I had a lot of fireball <laughs> earlier. All right. Okay. Uh, Go ahead and roll what, me an Arcana check. Okay. While he's doing that, Bernie sees him go over and knows that she doesn't have Arcana or Nature, but she nudges Carl. She says, Carlton, you know about like animals and things? Because you lived with them? Uh, wanna, yeah, a little bit. Uh, uh, you want to uh, help him out and you know, like, figure out what what happened, because that was weird. I, I could definitely try that. Wait, are you trying to help Jonathan on his arcana check? No, she's going to just send him over to do, like, to cover all the bases. She's like, oh. he's looking for magical things. John okay. has, like, foresty, grow up, raised by wolves. So, yeah, raised by wolves. So I'll know if something doesn't look natural to kind of help point it out, like, hey, focus your attention on this unnatural thing. Well, in that case, then, Carlton, what I need is a nature check from you. I can definitely do that. Nature check, which I'm not great at. And Travancore, I, I see you speaking up as, as our resident nature boy. Still feeling a little bit beat up. Travancore is going to use a fourth level spell to cast Cure Wounds on himself. I can use Cure Wounds on myself, right? If you've taken that spell, if absolutely. If you have it prepared, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's prepared. And there I you do. go. 21 points back. Woohoo. Nice. So Travancore takes kind of an extra moment as, yeah, he took the brunt of that. Bernie elbows Carlton uh, and uh, after she's done healing, and then Jonathan and Carlton are standing over this owlbear. So Jonathan, what'd you get on your arcana check? Uh, apparently the blood's kind of still pounding in Jonathan Medjmusker's ears, and his vision is obstructed by the uneven number of stars now swirling about his head. Uh, I, I gotta tell you, if, if you're bothered by unevenness, his crown of stars is a nightmare for you, because it's like, he pulled, he didn't pull from the same spot. He pulled, like, from over there, and then over there. So it's mm. not an even numbering of stars around his head and i think it confused him a little bit uh that's to say jonathan got a 15 on his arcana check okay and carlton what'd you get on your nature check uh it was a 12 all right um the two of you work together from two different angles and spend a little bit of time looking at this creature and what i'll say with kind of that combined role because it's obvious this is not that what has happened to this creature has altered it from its regular form. This wasn't created this way. It was mutated. You don't see any any signs of it being like stitched together. It's not, it's not a, a Frankenstein's monster kind of thing. Um, and the boils are the obvious part. And I'll say with that, with those two roles together, 
it's not arcane. It's not natural. You kind of figure out that there, there's something maybe alchemical going on, but neither of you know very much about that kind of thing. So that's kind of all that you can figure out. Bernie looks over at the two of them. She's like, what is it? Well, Jonathan the Magimuscular thinks that it's something that's a little out of his wheelhouse. The world of alchemy! And he, he does the, like, jazzy hands. He, like, flexes and does it. <laughs> I mean, I just assume Jonathan the Magimuscular flexes when he does almost everything. This is a good assumption. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, uh, <clears throat> yes, but Jonathan the Magimuscular believes that uh, these alterations are of an alchemical nature. Yeah, it ain't natural. Oh, um, yeah, I have no clue. And she's going to look over at Travon. She's like, Travon Gore, do you that alchemy? That's not really a druid thing. No, not really, no. I'm going to assume not as such unless someone says otherwise. Uh, unless you've got it on your character sheet, which I don't think you do, like uh, proficiency in alchemical supplies, or no. maybe you were an alchemist like the artificer. No, no. Travancore heard a story about alchemy that scared him away from it. Involved a dog and a girl. You bastard. <laughs> I was gonna I make a I, I was gonna make a much less loaded full metal alchemist joke. <laughs> I I was gonna say, as he tells this kind of the TLDR of the story that he heard when he was young. So what I'm gonna say is he's gonna take a second and eye it and between the stuff that Jonathan and Carlton have said and this memory that has surfaced, he can go ahead and make another nature check. It'll just be straight. Okay, nature core. 24. With a 24, knowing that your friends are pretty positive it's alchemy, and you're looking over this owl bear, and you kind of glance over at the harpies too, and all of you have noticed that they've got these boils on them that are just absolutely disgusting. In a weird way, it almost looks like they've been poisoned. And it is not actual poison, as you, you take a sniff and kind of sample the the air around it and you think about the way that these creatures were moving awkwardly and yeah it's almost as though some kind of you think it's magical but it's definitely like a magic alchemical substance like they've been forcibly mutated and the the boils themselves are the the key they're the they're not the delivery method. You don't think that's like an injection site, but you think that that's one of the, that this seems to be some sort of experimental thing. This is not the intended effect. Ooh. Hmm. Ooh. Hmm. Hmm. Things that make you go, hmm. Hmm. I want to poke one of the boils with a stick. Uh, you do. You grab a nearby stick and you give it a little poke, 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 poke. First poke or two. Nothing. You can, you just kind of hear the the, the slimy. I want to be clear. Flesh. Hold on, before we move forward, I want to be clear that Bernie is uh, got a stick, and she is standing behind Carlton's calf, and she's leaning out, poking the boil that way. Safety first. So Carlton's meat shield. Safety first. I also assumed you'd you'd grabbed a relatively long stick for safety. Uh, this is the collapsible ten foot pole of sticks, and so yeah, you <laughs> poke first couple of pokes, nothing really happens. You give it a kind of a harder little jab and you hear a disgusting pop it's a small one and then the boil kind of it's almost like when you're looking at a lava pool and a bubble is forming on the 
surface and then it pops. It's this thick, viscous, kind of brackish black liquid that out and sprays right there. It doesn't get anywhere near anybody else. And now you all smell the same metallic acidic smell that Travancore, you smelled when you were doing your examination, but you couldn't quite put a words to what it was, but you picked up what was going on. And it's that metallic sheen over the whatever that is. That's kind of the clue that oh, there's this, this, this was un, not just unnatural, but probably magical. Bernie shivers with perverse pleasure. She <laughs> popping things. That, was this an ASMR goes, oh. moment for Bernie? This is, everybody's trying to figure out what it is. And Bernie looks at me and she goes, I don't know. I just wanted to poke it with a stick. I'm glad I could give you that moment of pleasure. Let's go see if we can find some more in 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 there. And Jonathan the Metromuscular is just like, he looks back at the at the oozing boil now. And he he tastes a little bit of his breakfast in his mouth. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a weird, it's a little horrific. Uh, but you move on. It doesn't take long for you to find the entrance way to go deep into, or at least down below the surface. Uh, this area, while it is a destroyed citadel, you also find, in a weird way, a little bit of a path. It's the path of, like, enough people have gone in this direction. Uh, it's almost as though you have found, like, the dirt path through the forest, but there's so little here in the rubble. But a couple of you have such a keen sense of pathfinding, especially in the wilderness, that you can pick up that, oh, okay, on a regular basis, people are coming in and out of a place over there. And you walk through both of the the towers. You kind of walk past them into one of the larger it's a building in the sense of it used to have walls and a ceiling and you can vaguely tell that it used to be probably a a large house of some sort but it's so old and dilapidated that there's practically nothing left and there's certainly no ceiling but as you walk through what used to be the doorway following the the path of People have walked this way recently. You come across in the corner, hewn into the ground, a a large. Uh, it's a trap door, but it's not a wooden one. It's a looks like a big, heavy stone, about ten feet in diameter slab, with an obvious ring on the top to be able to pull it up. And unlike the rest of the keep, this is not made out of the redstone. Hmm. Jonathan the Metamuscular goes to uh, Carlton, and he's like, Carlton, if you would, and Jonathan the Metamuscular's uh, hands kind of glow blue as he readies to blast into the whatever comes out of that thing. Carlton will get the hint, and then kind of walk around to the hinge side of the trapdoor, so that he can open it facing Jonathan. Ah, okay. Because he said he was ready for whatever's coming out of it. Yeah. Sure. Bernie's going to... um. Hide behind Jonathan's calves this time again. <laughs> I got my blasting hands up. Peer out. She's she'll be ready. Like I'm there if the thing is trapped and explodes on me, and if something comes out, then Jonathan's there. I'm gonna draw my bow and arrow towards that entrance, and I'm gonna instruct Shadow to be ready. Sounds good, Carlton. Go ahead and give me a strength check. Not because you're not strong enough. You're 
very clearly strong enough to lift this trap door. But you're doing it in a slightly awkward way because it's so big in order to give everyone access to the opening. And so it's more about being able to lift at an awkward angle. Uh, 22. Yeah. So there's there's a moment as you reach over, because as I said, this slab is like 10 feet by 10 feet. And so you're you're doing that thing where you have to reach really far forward to grab the ring. And that first second of pulling, once again, it's not that you don't have the strength. It's a it's a bad leverage position. And so it creaks a little bit and then you give it a, a yank and it opens up. And the rest of you, it looks like it's just a staircase that descends into not complete darkness. There does seem to be somewhere in this spiral staircase going down into the earth, a little bit of ambient light. And there's a musty, stale smell that's coming off of off of this hole. But Jonathan and uh, Travancore, nothing jumps out at you. Okay. Well, put the bow and arrow away and just head through the entrance. Uh, Jonathan, the magic muscular, is going to stop Travancore, and he's going to go, sh- go, shh. Yeah, I should go first. And he's going to... He's going to make a sneaky, like, pantomime. All right, I'm going to cast Pass Without Trace. Okay. Uh, Travancore cast Pass Without Trace. Uh, I would like to know a marching order as you descend into this crypt. Uh, Carlton would go first off uh, to, to be the protector. All right. And who would like to be behind Carlton? Jonathan the Magimuscular, I think. Then Bernie. And then Travancore, would you like to be next or would you like Shadow to go next? I'll go next so that I have more of a radius to affect the entire party. I mean, 30 feet, you cover everybody anyway, but still. You're in a a meat sandwich where (laughs) both Shadow and Carlton are both the meat and the bread in the sandwich. It's like we're a wagon wheel, except it's bear and half-orc meat that are on the outside. I understood that reference. That's both... (laughs) Appealing and creepy at the same time. All right. Tra- pass the trace gives what to everybody, just to remind everyone? All right. Pass the trace. Veil of Shadows. Concentration up to an hour. It's a plus 10 bonus to dexterity, stealth checks, and can't be tracked except by magical means. Perfect. A creature that receives this bonus leaves no behind no tracks or the traces of its presence, like Anthony Lepaglia in the mid-2000s. <laughs> and with that My wife's been reference... watching a lot of um, <laughs> procedural. She's working on Cold Case now, which I didn't realize takes place in Philadelphia, but... The way the show works, it could take place anywhere. They just throw in, like, random, like, neighborhood names. It could be in Columbus, Ohio. So with that plus 10, let's get some stealth checks from everybody, since your intent stealth is to be stealthy. Check. And I will ask for everybody's number in the order that you are descending the stairs. So, Carlton? 16. Is that with the plus 10? That's with the plus 10. Oh, dear. Carlton did not roll well. Uh, Jonathan and... Is Bucks on you, or is Bucks? Oh, yeah, Bucks. Will, Bucks will be on my. Sh- Bucks will be on Bernie's shoulder. Okay, so if, not if quite Bucks... in the front, but uh, but but in in the middle. Bucks is the tasty treat in the middle of the sandwich. If if Bucks <laughs> is doing a ride along, little Bucks nugget, little Bucks nugget, cool, little, little nugget of Bucks. Uh, if he's doing a ride along, I don't need a separate stealth check from him. Uh, so what's your stealth check, Jonathan? Uh, Jonathan the Muscular, thanks to the intervention of Travancore, gets a 21. Ooh, and Bernie? Bernie has disadvantage on stealth checks, so she yeah. rolled a 2, which means she has a 12. <laughs> so I guess she did not realize Bucks would be riding with her, and she goes, oh, shit! 
(laughs) (laughs) But between you being startled at Bucks and Bucks, when he lands on your shoulder, he's not used to sitting on a shoulder that is covered in like thick, thick armor. And so there's a weird moment in where he loses his grip because he wasn't expecting. It's a tidy little. Yeah, he can't. He goes to grip, but he can't grip because it is metal. And then he flails for a little bit. Travancore? 28. And Shadow? 22. All right. So there is a little bit of noise as you're coming down these stairs. The spiral staircase winds for quite a while. Pretty much every time you reach the the point where it's come all the way around again, kind of you've gone in full circle, but corkscrewed down. There is a slab on the side of the the wall that glows a little bit. That's obviously some sort of spell has been cast upon, uh, but it's very, very low light. It is incredibly dark. The stairs themselves are just rough rock. Um, and... Every once in a while, they're made with this redstone, but it's uneven. It's not a pattern as far as you can see. It almost looks like they all used to be this redstone. And then over perhaps decades and centuries, they've either been replaced or chipped away, or maybe it was just a facade. You've reached the bottom of the stairs without too much trouble. It only takes a couple of, it only takes about a minute to descend as you're being cautious, but not slow. And on the ground level of this chamber that you've uh, reached, oof, the smell in here has changed from a stale to a animal waste, sweat, and a little bit of rotted meat. And on the right side, you can actually see a couple bones and feathers lying strewn across the floor as though there's, there's been an animal living here. The chamber is mostly empty, and it's at the bottom of this stone staircase you've come down. And on the far wall, there is a faux archway that is decorated with interwoven knots and axes and what actually looks like fierce owl bears, especially kind of on either side on the bottom of this arch, all in this relief on this archway over a doorway. I know a couple of you speak Dwarvish, right? Carlton does speak common Dwarvish and Orc. Perfect. Carlton, as you look at this door, you do see the writing over it um, as all of you are looking at the the reliefs and the owl bears and the axes, and you see that what's written in Dwarvish is family crypt of Halzingers. And there is a stone door that is currently closed, and this seems to be the only way to go. Hang on. I'm pasting something into... We'll do the Zoom chat, I guess. Zoom chat ahoy. Ah. Play our little spelling game. You're very close, and that no! m- well, and I will admit that this might be uh, Lauren's accent. I should probably have gone Halzanger. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, Halzinger. But but like, if I'm just gonna say that, I would normally say it is Halzinger. But Halzanger. <laughs> Thank you, Nikolaj. Yes, Nikolaj. 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 Nik. And that is what you see. Otherwise, it is a fairly empty room. And now we're going to be here for three hours because I have confronted you all 
with a door. The, our greatest enemy. It, not our just BBEG yours. of this campaign. The enemy of every D&D campaign ever of all time. Doors. Good people of Faerun, Carlton Tanks here to let you know that Dungeon Drunks is now a level up dice affiliate. Does your ranger need stone dice to show off their connection to nature? Or how about a crystal set to show off your devotion to Queen Bay? Maybe a set of blue dice so everyone knows that your fireball burns hotter. Or what about a set of heavy metal so your barbarian can roll with force? Dungeon Drunks and Level Up Dice have you covered. You can now support Dungeon Drunks with your next dice purchase by following our affiliate link bit.ly slash dungeon drunks. That's bit.ly slash capital D dungeon capital D drunks. And happy rolling! We here at Dungeon Drunks are huge fans of Idle Champions of the Forgotten Realms. It's a Dungeons & Dragons strategy video game that brings together D&D characters from novels, adventures, and multiple live streams into one single grand adventure. It is so much fun to put together a formation that includes champions from our favorite D&D streams, books, and Faerun's lore. Every week there's something new happening, and the game is available on almost any platform. Need some loot to gear up your champions? We're happy to offer a free Electrum chest to all of our listeners. This week's code expires on October 24th at 8pm Pacific, so open up the game, go to the shop, and type in this code. E-C-O-S-F-E-T-T-W-E-S-T. So use that code and let us know on Twitter or Instagram what goodies you got. And now, enough of the loot drops, back to the show. I recite out loud what it says, you know, family crypt of the whole zanger. And then be like, does, does that ring a name to belt to anybody? You know, you would think that like on all of the smaller of stature races hung out. We, we don't. And it is particularly ironic given I grew up a rock gnome, but like we decorate a little differently, you know? I, I meant more of like, history not just because we're small, oh not like... per- not personally no, no i don't no. i wasn't trying to attack you it was more no, of like no 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 i just don't know the halzingers who here thinks they would know the most about the scarlet citadel probably Bruh. jonathan yeah whoever remember yeah. When, like first we were doing like all the checks to see like what people knew and like bernie just yeah didn't but jonathan bernie think... and carlton were just like it's red yeah and it's I, a red it's castle red, it's <laughs> yeah when you were talking to Aras, i think you're right and i think seem to remember travancore got like a, a pretty okay role like he had heard about it as like a a place to visit and then jo- i think you're right jonathan did uh so jonathan go ahead and roll me a history check rolling history ah not bad 24 uh with a 24 you remember that the the Scarlet Citadel is not just based under a an actual place that was called the Scarlet Citadel that was at one point the ancestral home and the the seat of power for a group of dwarves, a clan of dwarves that were the Hallzangers. And then you know that their ancestral crypts are under the castle. And I'd say with the 24, you also know that one of the reasons they built the keep here specifically was there's an interesting magical phenomenon in this area of the the ley lines of magical power overlap here in a in a very dense way you've all felt it 
it's kind of that same feeling just before a storm hits, not necessarily an electrical sense, but just a feeling of an anticipation in the air that you usually get around really powerful magical items. And kind of this whole area has been suffused in that way. And so you know that the reason that they built their keep here was to take advantage of that. And the stories of the Scarlet Citadel are that since the fall of this keep, as people have tried to take over the area and dive down into its depths and figure more out about the magical powers that are here and how best to harness them, that's how the dungeon complex was created. There, there was a reason that they were digging into the ground. It's not just the classic, the dwarves dug too deep. The dwarves actually they didn't dig, dig. dig, dig, and they dig, dig, dig. They actually didn't dig very deeply at all. Uh, it's been all of the people and intruders since then who have kept on digging. You don't know anything more than that. As far as you can remember, it's just some basic history about who owned this keep. There were some dwarves, and they were digging a hole. Diggy, diggy hole. <laughs> diggy, diggy hole. Dwarves do do that. They do. On occasion. Obviously, there are other dwarves that do other things, but classically, and you might even say stereotypically, dwarves dig holes. Does this door, this particular do dwarven door, does it have a like a like a place for a key or a handle or a push plate? There is a handle. Okay. Jonathan the Magimuscular is going to look for arcane traps. Okay. Go Smart. ahead and are you just using your natural investigative senses or are you casting a spell? Jonathan the Magimuscular didn't pack anything <laughs> except... <laughs> Jonathan the Magimuscular packed for violence. So, okay. Uh, Jonathan, would you like me to help you look for those types of things? I Having had enough of them blow up in my face, oh. I kind of know what to look for at this point. That That is very true. Yes, your assistance would be very valuable. All right. All right so I'll let one of you roll an investigation check. Oh, we're, no, advantage. we're both rolling. <laughs> okay. All right. If you're both rolling. We're both. We're, we're, this is a true collaboration. All right. Oh, so. Uh, 21. Yeah, Jonathan Magmuscular got a 19. Go Carlton. Carlton got a 21? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so uh, Jonathan, you're looking at it more with an arcane eye. Carlton, you're looking for slight, slightly more mundane traps. You don't see anything. All right. You don't sense anything. You don't, there's nothing that jumps out at you is odd or weird. We do have to make sure that once we are in these crypts that we do not disturb the dead because that has bitten us in the ass before. Yes. Yeah, that's been sort of, mm-hmm. Uh, Carlton's remembering. So, Carlton, get ready. And Jonathan the Magimuscular is going to yeah. open the door. And then this time, Carlton is going to face whatever comes out. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. All right. So you kind of yank the door open? Is that the... Yeah. Okay. So you do. You grab the handle. You pull. It squeaks. It's a rough opening. It's obvious that this door is... Not necessarily perfectly aligned on its hinges, and now that you've actually yanked on it, it feels like it's probably been patched and worn a couple times. And while it is thick, you can actually see that there's holes in it. This is an ancient door. But as you yank it open and it makes this, this kind of loud, and it reverberates off the stonework, the rest of you stand prepared. Once again, nothing happens. Great. There's a moment of quiet, and what you 
can see through the doorway is a long hallway that is very obviously a mausoleum. And there's no light in the mausoleum. Those of you with dark vision, which is most of you, see for a little while before it stops. And I believe I, Jonathan the Magic Muscular might be shedding some light here. Let me see how many stars it takes to do that. Oh, your stars shed light. Oh, yes. Okay. If you have four more modes remaining, they shed bright light in a 30-foot radius and dim light for an additional 30. So I do believe you're correct. I think all of us have at least low light vision. Jonathan the Magic Muscular be bright and shiny. All of you have... Uh, that is excellent to know, uh, especially with those stealth checks. So the good news is oh, because... No. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, it's important. Um, so with that bright light, Carlton, since you've got the best perception out of the group... I do. All of you see kind of the first 30, 40, 50 feet into this mausoleum, and it's long, but not wide, and very, very tall. The ceiling stretches at least 20 to 25 feet up and is vaulted. And you see that there's obviously sarcophagi that have been placed in respectful distances on either side. This is obviously, if, if not the, it is one of the official mausoleums of the Holzanger family. Bernie's warning about respecting the dead, you all take very seriously. But it's very obvious that the people who've come through here before have not. And years of destruction and plunder have taken place. There is not, at least in the, the view that you have of the first bit of this crypt, there's not a single sarcophagus that hasn't been opened, damaged, the tops having been flipped and shattered, everyone plundered and not recently it's there's layers of dust on some of them that are obvious from decades but the the bright light of jonathan's stars and even the dark vision that all of you have doesn't pierce enough of the darkness to see the full mausoleum so you would have to at this point enter result let's go yep yeah okay bernie sighs i assume she can see this too Oh, yes. All of you see this. Yeah. Um, I, the things that Carlton, I, I'm assuming Carlton has described a few of the, the further things, but they're basically all the same. So, yeah, you all you all see it. For all their vaunted wealth, all their money could not buy them. Rest after death. Here's the thing. Yes, but also I'm not really sure that was what they were going for. I don't know enough about these people to make. That kind of comment? Well, I guess I don't either. Just thinking about all the trouble they went to to have comfortable or at least fairly adorned places for their remains. I mean, there might be another reason for it, but one would think that they would hope they'd be undisturbed. Maybe they want people to mess with them. I don't, I don't know. What do the royal burial grounds look like in your family? Uh, and then Travancore goes into the, uh, the rituals where um, people are wrapped their entire bodies and they die except for their faces which are showed very sad violin music plays and uh you know there are very long and ornate prayers done by by various people in various capes and um they are lowered into their tombs 
and buried and mourned for a period of 40 days where the uh, the family is forbidden from eating meat of any kind. I'm not taking this from, from my personal life or anything. No reason to ask. Bernie's going to say, everybody has their own burial rituals. And I imagine that when you come from a royal family, it might be hard to look on someone of comparable wealth and know that along down the line, those rituals did not protect you from the desecration of your tomb. And then she's just going to walk forward. Uh, Travancore just quite quietly says to us, maybe it's just a meat pocket. And he keeps walking. All right. Do you keep the same order as you walk into the crypt? Yes. Okay. You start to walk down the crypt and it is a very, very large crypt. This is obviously a place where many, many generations of Halsingers were were laid to rest. Unfortunately, crypt after crypt, it's the same. They have all been opened and they have all been destroyed, desiccated in some way. And most of them, it's obvious this happened years ago. None of this is recent. You do come across about half, what what you think is halfway, because you can just start to see the other side where there's a wall. There's a break in the crypt on the left, crypt on the right, crypt, you know, sarcophagus, 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 sarcophagus. And then there's a break and a space where there were obviously two statues that used to stand. One of them is just gone. You see the plinth they were on and you see the markings on the top of it where two what would have been armored feet stand but there's no sign of any statue. The other side does have the remains of a statue. The arm that would that seemed to have been holding some sort of weapon, maybe a staff, maybe a sword. It's in an upright position as if it was holding something. The whole arm is gone and the weapon. The other arm is in a protective stance that obviously a shield would have gone on. Uh, the shield is still half there, but it's been broken. And you can see that you almost get the sense that someone was trying to remove the shield. But this is a, a marble statue. And what they did was just break off some of the marble. The head and most of the body is still there. And one of the legs is still there. And the other, it, it looks like it was broken. And the statue is just very, it looks like, this was incredibly good marble, and that's the reason it is still standing on one leg. Obviously, a dwarf in plate mail of some sort in a, a pose of respect. There's no plaque or anything. And you do notice, around and behind the statue, for the first time, despite the fact that you've now passed by easily a dozen or two coffins, there are a couple bodies really old, literally skeletons at this point. Looks like three. Most are in pieces. Only one full head remains. The other two seem to have been smashed. Bernie, go ahead and give me a perception check. Okay. 21. You've seen enough undead. You've fought enough undead. Uh, You're pretty sure these were at some point, raised zombies. 
or skeletons at some point. Uh, the way that the bones that should not have any wear and tear on them have wear and tear in the way that you are eminently familiar with. Uh, but they were also dispatched, and so these are the literal remains of remains. So, on in your opinion, where do these fall on Speak With Dead? Because they're no longer the undead. Mm -hmm. They're back to being dead. I would say they that you would be able to, um, there's only one body that has a jaw and a mouth. But yeah, I would say you can, you can cast Speak With Dead because I'm going to say before I pull it up, that's my ruling. If you would like to cast Speak With Dead, you can. But now that you've said so. So it said the spell fails if the corpse was the target of the spell within the last 10 days. The corpse must still have a mouth and can't be undead. It can't be undead. Which means to me, well, to me, my interpretation of that is that it's not currently under another spell animating it, turning it into undead. Yeah. This whatever the spell that turned it into undead is come and gone and the magic has left. And so I feel like that is one of those things where it's just like my magic is not competing with another magic. It's just if the interpretation is whether or not once you are undead, you retain you are tainted with undeadness. Yeah, that's my question. Right? So that's the only question. Here's so, yeah, and has the ruling that so that gets into weirdness because yes, the, so when it comes to raising a creature from the dead. There are certain spells in where if they've been turned into a a creature that is undead, if their type has changed, you can't actually raise them as the original creature, which you raise as a zombie. You need a higher level spell. And Bernie, you would know this. Like that that's why uh there are certain spells like Finger of Death or or anything that turns a creature into an undead creature. That's one of the reasons that you and your faith and specifically your goddess really don't like undead is it prevents some of the things that you can do to bring people back to life unless you have incredibly powerful magic. In this case, because the way speak with dead works is you're not actually dealing with a spirit at all. You're just speaking to the corpse. Yeah, I'm kind of going with Bernie's interpretation. Probably raw is it wouldn't work because you're you're pretty sure all three of these were zombies. But now nah, I think in this case, you look it over and you're like, I couldn't bring this creature back from the dead without like a resurrection spell also it's been old it's been dead for more than 10 days but i can i can talk with this corpse if i want to i think yeah i think that's fair because it's sort of like think of it as muscle memory yeah not spiritual <laughs> bernie looks around and she goes okay we've got five questions what do you guys want to know probably who brought them back to life the first time yeah or have they seen uh what's his face from the Oh, Anakin's yeah. Yeah. Yes. Ichabod. Um, Ichabod. Ichabod. I keep thinking Ichabod, like Ichabod Crane. Yeah, me too. I will say, Carlton, as you ask this question, Bernie specifically, but several of you, and actually, Carlton, even as you say it and you're looking at these corpses, it is very obvious these corpses have been inanimate for a very long time. It's a little hard to tell without doing a full on investigation check, but you're all pretty positive these were corpses inanimate corpses long before Ichabon would have come through, if that helps a little bit. I feel like what I would want to know, sort of sitting sitting in the meta so we can just kind of talk this out as players, I think if I'm thinking about what we can get the most out of 
is like maybe layout of the area, like the most trafficked areas. I think asking who brought them back is a good question, like finding a way to ask that that would give us information beyond just like a name. I think, yeah, I think like our goals are sort of like figuring out the significance of the place before it became a Disneyland of adventure vandalism. Okay. Any other things y'all want to know? No, I think that's probably our smartest option. All right. Would you like to cast Speak with Dead? Yes. Bernie is going to cast Speak with Dead. And not only has it been a while since you've cast this, but the last couple times you've done it, it's been on a... It's been on a more recent corpse. I think this is the first time you've ever cast it on pretty much a skeleton. Describe to me what this looks like as you kind of disentangle the head and body of this one that you're going to speak to from the other stuff that's lying there. I feel like usually, yeah, you're right. Bernie usually talks to like freshly dead. And she's sort of looking around. And at one point, she kind of looks up at Jonathan. She goes, you know, it doesn't have a tongue. Like, do you think this will work? It doesn't have a tongue. It should be. It'll be fine. It's got a jaw. It might just have an accent. We'll just, we'll okay. just have to put on our... uh are really good listening ears. And Jonathan Match Muscular does this. He puts his, e- his fingers behind his ears and pushes them forward a little. Don't ask it to say shibboleth. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, help me prop them up. Jonathan the Match Muscular is going to help. Actually, he's going to use Mage Hand to kind of gently lift the corpse up a little. Yeah, you can kind of very easily, with Bernie's help, having cleared... The, at least the top bit of the skeleton off, prop it up against the plinth that the uh, remaining statue is standing on. All right, you cast the spell, and there's a quiet moment as Bernie's... I imagine in this moment, it's kind of a, a yellowish glow seeps into these bones. It's Well, it takes incense, so I imagine Bernie just has some. Oh, yeah. And so she, she has um, Jonathan light a finger, and she... Takes the stick. You can either use incense, or in this case, you can use your holy symbol. You can do either, so. I like the incense for good smells and spooky effect. I do, And getting to use Jonathan's um, lighter finger feature. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Jonathan, you help a little bit light the incense. It curls up as uh, Bernie speaks the words and does the motions in order to cast the spell. And the smoke from the incense is what actually wafts over the skeleton and then seeps into the bones before the the skull. No eyes in the sockets, no n- nothing in the in the way of ligaments or anything. The jaw is literally just there. Having been, would you say the smoke forms the ligaments and tongue necessary to talk? No, but when the skeleton shifts a little bit, you see little wispy pinpricks of light in the eye sockets that are the same, the same amber color as your smoke. Unlike the last couple times that you've cast the spell, where there have still been lungs and there's still been a tongue and everything. You don't hear any intake of breath. You don't see any audible difference except for the the little pinpricks of eyes. And then the jaw, which had started to come loose, fully opens 
in a way that is physically impossible for what is left of this skeleton. And while it does not actually move as this body talks, the unnatural light in the eyes flashes just a little bit as it regards Bernie and waits for the first question. Hi, I'm Bernice and these are my friends. We're here in a professional capacity, less of a personal pleasure kind of trip, though I imagine that you have seen quite a few people like us, but maybe not quite like us, pass through here in more of a pleasure-based capacity. And so that's your question is... No, that's not a question. That's oh, okay. just a statement. I, you, in the past, you've let me get away with making oh. statements to coax these things to talk. No, no, no. <laughs> and I still can, but that was a such a vague one that I wasn't sure if you were done yet. Okay, so, so basically what you're asking is, hey, you've seen Bernie some is, shit. Tell me about the shit you've seen. Yeah, Bernie is trying to, trying to do what she always does, which is get around the laws that govern her own magics. <laughs> Which, which you know I will do as long as it's fun. In this case, a voice emanates from the skull that is faint and has a slight accent to it. And as I said, there's no, there's no puppeteering of the jaw. It doesn't move in any way, but it still hangs open at this impossible angle as you all hear, That was once my job was come looking for treasure and adventure and experiences and i found all those things and then fell to the dangers as i went too deep i did not see others except my friends who fell now, I'm going to give you a little piece of information. Look, this is hard on some people. You were, at one point in time, after your death, raised from the dead and used as a zombie to attack other adventurers who came through here in a personal or professional capacity. So when you say that you went too deep, I don't think that you meant you died here. Where did you die? Question number one. <laughs> uh, this, this, this is question number two. But, yeah, as soon as he answered, that was question number one. There's a brief moment. The body talks again and says, You are correct. I did not fall here in amongst these sarcophagus. I went very deep for... Five levels. They get confusing. It was filled with horrific creatures and strange magics that thrum through everything. It confused our bodies and our minds. And then we were attacked. We were surprised and fell. Those strange magics, did they happen to have any of the following symptoms? A metallic-y feel or weird 
pustules on creatures or creating creatures that look like ones you've fought before, but also look like ones that have been Frankenstein back together. The metallic is a symptom of the magic of the ley lines that are here, of the reason we were here. It was everywhere. I could taste it in the air. But there were no creatures like you describe. There was no pustules. There was no alterations of beasts from anything but the cruel magics of below. Hmm. That's three. Is there anything you remember about your time as a zombie slash undead person? For instance... Who raised you or how long ago it was? I'll let you retract that one because what I'm going to say is this won't work if they're undead. Okay. The so body doesn't that. Yeah. You know, muscle memory. You would know the body would not know any of that, that that's essentially like magic puppeteering the body. And so the, the only thing it's going to remember is what it knew in life. So you can ask a different question because you would know you would know that. I guess we sort of want to know how to get to the next level, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us the safest way to get to the two deep? From here, at the end of the crypt, is the only door leading down to the next level. From there, it is winding, twisting passages and another staircase leading down. But... While the paths are mostly straightforward, they are, they were at the time we went through trapped. And the denizens of this place, knowing it is visited by those looking for treasure, are ready to reset after every time it is sprung. All right. Well, that's actually really good to know. Um, Bernie's going to say, your soul has moved on to wherever it's going to go. And it did it a really long time ago. Long ago enough that I wouldn't bring you back if I could. It wouldn't be life. Is there anything you need to lay your corporeal form to rest? Bernie, roll a d100. Mm. If you get over a 50, something else is going to happen. It's a 52. There you go. Just enough. <laughs> All right. So there we go. So I'm going to say in this moment, as you ask this question, you realize because it's been so long, because obviously that this person died a while ago, a very long time ago, and you don't know exactly how long you have the presence of mind in that moment to add at the end of your statement what year it is. And so there's a pause as then the, the corpse replies, it has been over 50 years since I died. There is nothing that my body needs. But be warned if what you say is true of how long it has been, things have changed. And with that, you watch as the lights in the eyes dim. And then, as though there were two candles in the eyes, 
They go out and you watch as a little bit of smoke trickles out of each socket. And the jaw, which had been hanging through force of Bernie's magic, comes loose and clatters onto the ground. As that was five questions. So his information might be a little outdated. You know, just a little. What would you like to do? Bernie would like to enlist the help of the uh, stronger members of the party to move the bones out of, like, the main, like, walkway mm-hmm. and lay them nicely to the side. Like, if if it can be discerned that, because you said there was two companions, right? There were three bodies there, all three missing parts and pieces. Um, this one that you spoke to was the only one that had an intact head, but yes. She just wants to lay them side by side off to the side. Easily done. You actually end up kind of putting them behind the the plinth that the statue is on. There's a little space there, and you're able to, uh, with your friend's help, very easily lay them respectfully there. Yeah, I'll follow Bernie's instructions to a T, make sure everything's lined up perfectly. Bernie just, like, sits there and as she's, like, watching them do this, and she's just says, like, mortar, so she gets... You know, most people think that life clerics are afraid of death or we don't like death or that we want to have mastery over it. But that's really not the case. Life doesn't matter as much if death doesn't exist. And there's balance to all things. Mostly what we believe in is dignity in death. It's the greatest equalizer. You're saying death is part of life? Death is part of life. Well, Bernie, since uh, I'm going to go before you, if we all go by natural causes, uh, I'm going to go before you, and I would be most honored if you would preside over... I'll do my best. You know, there's an entire contingent in the Mother Temple, and all they do is wash bodies and process bodies and preside over funerals wasn't really my jam, if I'm being honest, and I wasn't as good at it as they are. But dignity. Everyone deserves the dignity of a good death. And because I know that you believe in that dignity of death, I know that during my funeral, in order to keep it dignified, you will not mention the opal incident. I won't mention the opal <laughs> incident, but I might put an opal in. <laughs> you didn't pull me with an opal! <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It, it seems appropriate. Top you up with an opal. Yep. Um, they're gonna be like, "Wow, we knew Carlton was like a half orc and really muscly and big, but we didn't realize he was this abby." And they're gonna be like, "Bernie, what do you embalm him with?" Oh, opals. Oh, like, if Bernie is alive when Carlton dies, she's going to spend a considerable amount of wealth to make sure that if you ever opened up Carlton, it'd be opals all the way down. Oh, dear. <laughs> she will never mention opals in your funeral, but everybody who knows will will smile. They'll be like, casket's really heavy. <laughs> An opulent event, if ever there was one. Oh! A way to shine. An absolute way to shine. All right. You have this moment. You've gotten some good information. You lay the body um, in, in as much of a respectful manner as you can. I'm assuming same order. Is Pass Without Trace still active? It's an hour, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Cool, Leo. 
And because you have taken a little bit of time, you've made a bunch of noise um, with opening the door, with preparing this body, with doing the the speak with dead. I'm going to ask for new stealth checks from everybody. Come on, stealthy boy. Yep, so every, everybody roll another stealth check. You still have pass without trace up. Dang. And <laughs> yeah. Carlton? 21. 21. And Jonathan? Also 21. Hey, and Bernie? 22 this time. Hey, Travancore? 25. And Shadow? Okay, that's going to be a 20. Everybody over 20. Wow. Maybe it's the uh, the knowledge that you know a little bit more about what you're heading into, even if it is admittedly old information. Um, it's still knowledge, and that's useful. Maybe it's because of the somberness of this moment that you've just had. Maybe you're just getting into the groove of dungeon delving again. It's been a very long time, but you all are doing a much better job of muffling any sounds that you're giving off, of staying in as much of a shadow as you can, despite the fact that Jonathan is kind of a little bit of a beacon. You continue on down through the crypt and same thing for a good minute or two, you're still passing by you're p- passing by sarcophagus after sarcophagus that have obviously been opened up and torn through. And now knowing that there were at least some zombies in this area, um, you all also notice the telltale markings of s- scratches, bits of cloth, things that would indicate, especially now that you know for a fact undead have been risen here. Yeah, some of these may not have been robbed graves. Some of these may be raised graves. And eventually, you reach the other side of this crypt. And as the the corpse had described, there is another door. You find the door to this end of the crypt, unlike the one that you came in, actually stands ajar. And judging by the, the gouges and the pry marks that you can actually see on the frame, it looks like it was forced open from this side. Not recently. Once again, this looks like this probably happened a while ago. And the heavy stone door sits at an awkward angle. And Carlton, since you're up front, go ahead and give me a perception check at disadvantage. Because this is kind of half your passive, half your you're kind of peering. 25? So. 25. 25. <laughs> Good old plus 15 in perception. Hey, even with disadvantage, you're when you when you know what you're looking for, you angle yourself and kind of look around to look through the the part of the door that's been pried open and you can see another set of stairs leading down. And this one, you can tell there are no insets into the walls that are giving off any light. It is pitch black. Jonathan the Magimuscular, uh, if he hadn't already, is going to affix his goggles onto his, uh, into his face, and there's a small magical whine as it uh, begins illuminating the, uh, the area for him. And, uh, and your goggles glow <laughs> green, and it's, and it's almost the same. Slight, a- slight green tint, yeah. Yep. A little, little, it's, impre- it's uh, almost imperceptible in the dark. What would you like to do? Hey. Down. You said pitch black, right? Yes. So those of you with dark vision can see a little bit in front of you. Okay, but like as we're progressing, so is the vision, right? So yeah, because Jonathan and so is, is uh, okay. 
Yeah. Wah, wah, wah. Yes. The crown of stars. I was stars. making sure it wasn't like magical dark. Like when he said it went pitch black, it wasn't like a wall of dark. No, you put your hand through the doorway and no, it's just normal. Right. So like as we start progressing, so does our vision. It's not like magical darkness where we progress and it's still right here is dark. Correct. Correct. <laughs> this is Got it. Okay. The difference here is that the last staircase you came down had those magical lights inserted. This one does not. All right. Well, good thing we have our uh, our lighthouse. Yo. Uh, do you want to take point? Sure. Since you're, you know, glowing. Sure. Why not? Or I could put my, if it makes you feel better, I could put my hand, my sword under yours and the shield in front of you and like do the thing where like I pretend to be your arms. I think. That way you're more protected. Jonathan the Magimuscular is intrigued uh, by this, uh, by this team up attack. But maybe we should keep ourselves to where we can both move without getting each, in each other's way. That makes sense. But maybe next time. All right, you head on down? Yeah. Okay. You start to head down the stairs, just like before. These are a little more rougher, a little more uneven, nothing terribly treacherous. And eventually you come around. It's corkscrewed a couple of times. And you come around and you see that it comes to a landing. And yeah, it comes to a little bit of a landing. And you see no door, but an archway leading into kind of an antechamber. And all you can tell is you kind of reach the very bottom of the stairs just before the landing at, uh, and this archway. All you can tell about the antechamber in front of you is there's grating on the floor and it opens up to the right and keeps going in a way that you can't see. Uh, do I have a spell slot for that? That's up to you. Well, I'm thinking of casting True Sight while we're down here. Nope, that's ninth level. We don't want to go there yet. Tramacor is guessing we're not using any of our torches or lanterns because we don't want to attract a whole bunch of unwanted attention. Uh, fun fact. I, uh, Jonathan the Muscular is acting as both a torch and lantern because he's got four stars circling his head in an right. uneven so pattern. That's why we put him in the head in front. Right, right. Keep our right. hands free. Okay. Now, if you would like to also pull out a torch or something, you absolutely can. Uh, but because Jonathan is shedding the bright light in 30 feet... That's kind of covering you all. You're doing a oh, fairly good enough. Yeah, it's it's allowing you to to see really well. And the good news is because the stars are this magical aura, you're not getting kind of the, the smokiness of a torch. But yeah, you are shedding some some light. Okay. In an uh, I cannot express how uneven this pattern is. <laughs> Everybody who um, suffers from a little bit of OCD is having a moment because every once in a while it's like, oh, that's uneven. Oh, that's uneven. Listen, I may not, I may have, while we were putting stickers on one of my games, slightly, because it's a game where you have elves and dwarves, and you can upgrade them to super elves and super dwarves. Uh, I may have made it so the stickers were slightly off center. And so you, if you flip it over, it's, it's crooked. So you have to readjust it. And then you flip it over, and then it's crooked. So you have to readjust it. <laughs> I may have done that on purpose. I hate you. Just I, listen, it was my game. I was just, it, it was one of the games that lives at my buddy's house, but it was my game. So I'm like, I'm going to sticker it how I want. Fair enough. I'm getting, right. I'm getting a very, very enthusiastic no from, <laughs> from Jules. <laughs> <laughs> just an absolute, like, disdain. So wrong. <laughs> okay. So, Jonathan, you have just reached the final stair on the staircase. Uh, everybody's kind of stacked up behind you as you take in the landing, the archway that leads into this antechamber with the grating on the floor. What would you like to do? 
Yeah, Jonathan the Magimuscular is going to kind of like lean down and using both the light around his head and the uh, and his goggles, try and look into the grating and see what he can see. Okay, so the grating is in the antechamber and there's the, the landing. You're kind of kind of move forward. Are you going to hop over the grating? Are you going to just kind of come to the edge of the landing and check out the grating? Uh, edge of the landing and peek in. Okay. Jonathan, as you move forward. Uh-oh. You walk up to the grating and you can see and smell acid from the pitting that's on this metal grate. There's, there's a bunch of them all inset into the floor, covering kind of the, the 10 to 15 feet in front of the entranceway from the landing to this antechamber. And your stars illuminate a little bit further down the right side of this room, where you can see there's not much else in this room except uh, there's two doors, one kind of further in in front of you and one to the right. And then you're distracted by the fact that your right foot is a little bit lower than your left foot. And I need everybody to make dexterity saving throws. And we're going to do this in a very specific order. So everyone's going to roll dexterity saving throws, but I'm going to ask them in the reverse order. And since Shadow was the one furthest up the staircase, I need his first. Okay. Do I see it coming? No. Good. <laughs> They're not good, but good for the information that I know. Sadly, you do not see it coming. 28 for Shadow. Excellent. Shadow can smell and hear the noise behind him. And despite the fact that he has the least amount of time to react... He is incredibly quick. And as this awful green viscous fluid starts to, as if someone at the top of the stairs had just poured a bucket down the stairs, it comes falling downwards and he's able to kind of dance around. Um, so he's only going to take 11 acid damage and one poison damage. Travancore, what's your roll? Ooh, 25. Awesome. Same thing. Probably noticing what's happening with Shadow, you're going you're gonna to take the half damage, 11 and 1. Bernie. All right. Okay. Those are just straight 19s. So I have no bonuses. That's still really good. Uh, same thing. You're going to take half damage, so 11 and 1. As Same kind of thing. You kind of have to dance around and avoid this, this awful liquid. Carlton. You're not as graceful as you normally are, but it is enough. You do same kind of thing. Do a little bit of hop, skip, and jump. 11 and 1. And finally, Jonathan. 12. And I'm declining to use another point of luck. I already used one to get to the 12. Okay, so there's a little bit of good news and a little bit of bad news. The, the bad news is you take full damage. You're going to take 22 acid damage and 5 poison damage. The good news is because there's nobody in front of you, you're fumbling around trying to get out of the way of this trap doesn't impede anybody else's ability to get away, away from the trap. So you kind of stumble and move, and while you end up taking a lot more of the damage than everybody else, you, you don't get in anyone's way, and you watch as the liquid sloths through all of your spaces and pours into the grating leaving pitting and steaming in front of you. Ow! <laughs> you see, Jonathan the Magimuscular is, like, burned, and, and like, it, it's, it's just sloughing off his... Oh, no! It's, it's eaten away his flannel. <gasps> That's as it, true. Oh, you're all wearing flannel. As it, 
as it like starts dissolving the flannel, you see that his uh, his robes underneath are unaffected because they're magic. But like it's it's like he's now wearing like the tattered remains of his like sleeveless flannel robes and his jeans. And he's just like, oh, does it look like all the people after the zombie day of the first RTX with random sunburn spots? <laughs> even yes, that. yes, it does. <laughs> Jonathan, the good news is your faux acid wash is now a real acid wash. I, I, you know what? That is true. So the denim, I think, survives a bit. And yes, it is now it is now an 80s acid watch. But his flannel uh, like shirt is just... It's gone. Bernie says, I can fix the burns on your skin, but I can't... I, fabric's not in my, my domain. <laughs> Jonathan the Magimuscular tries to press the digitate. Oh, no. He doesn't have mending. I think he just has... I don't think oh, he I has mending. mending. Wait, hold on. Maybe Bernie can fix them. <laughs> Bring out the magic. I love it. Uh, I love it. Fabric's, fabric's not in my domain. But wait, maybe it is. <laughs> I don't think I have it prepared. That's well, okay. it's a cantrip, so. I do. A, I do, do have it prepared. When you fix the statue, people. Remember way back when I in Ampho? Yeah. I was thinking about it from the, uh, I was thinking about stone. I guess, hold on. Let's take a look at mending. I don't know if there's enough to mend. To mend. I can repair a single break or tear. Okay. <laughs> I I can imagine like like Bernie coming up and casting mending on like the bottom part of the shirt mm-hmm. and like it kind of like jiggles like it's trying to come together but like it just burns a little more. And it's like ah. she fixes one precisely one acid burn and she smiles at you and she goes, "I did it." And it's, no, Bernie is not domestically inclined. <laughs> Jonathan the Magic Musker starts, like, precedentating the uh, the acid off his skin. Ha! Ha! Oh! Ow! And Jonathan, oh. as, as the burns set in a little bit and sting, and you look down and you now see that the, the reason one of your feet was a little lower than the other is, yeah, you were standing on a pressure plate. Oh, well. And... <laughs> With that, I think that's a good place to stop, is with Jonathan giving the, the omniscient DM a motherfucker. Because <laughs> you know what? I'll take it. That's okay. You know what? We This is fine, because both the players and the characters have, are both a little rusty. Mm-hmm. We, we haven't, we haven't we dealt with traps. We did say check for traps, so you were just checking, but you weren't checking... We, all the locations. No, yep. and, and, and as soon as we got in here, we we had the the lovely conversation with the dead people. We were like, respect, okay, and that that threw us off our adventuring game a little bit. It's fine. We it's we, fine. we we leaned into the confidence a little too hard. Yes. Mm. it's all right. It's it's okay. This is all a learning experience. And if the only thing that is seriously destroyed is the flannel, then we'll all take this as a win. But but. Let me give you some experience, and we'll pick up right here at the bottom of these trapped stairs with the acid damage next time. Uh, but for the moment, let me give you some experience for for entering your first dungeon in a very long time, for the uh, the careful way that you proceeded forward, uh, because it's been a while since since Pass Without Trace was cast, for the questioning of the dead and the the at least attempt to be respectful, even as you were surrounded by disrespect 
for acid wash jeans and fabric is not in my domain, I'm going to give you a total of 10,000 experience to split between the four of you. Oh, that's a nice round number. Is a nice round number. These numbers keep going up because, you know, you're getting into, you, you are. Hey, we, should, we should definitely sleep for eight hours. Yes, right uh, here yes. at the bottom of these stairs I, I'm on feeling top of this so tired. Right in the pool of acid. <laughs> in a pool of acid. Absolutely. <laughs> and the next time we get together, you will be at the bottom of these acid stairs ready to continue your journey into the Scarlet Citadel. Thanks for listening to our adventure. If you've enjoyed our show, visit us at DungeonDrunks.com for links to all of our social media, pictures and bio of our cast, a full list of credits, and more. We'd appreciate it if you left us a review, and we would love it if you come support us on Patreon. Visit Patreon.com slash DungeonDrunks to sign up. Thanks again, and we'll see you next encounter. We appreciate all of our patrons and extend a special thanks to our top tier patrons. Thank you, Megan, Lori, aka Calamity Jane, Sir Narvi and Sailor Tweak, John Adi, Linnea Boyev, Rebecca, aka Bunny Monster, and Hunted Shadows, LLC.